far less precarious than the life of a freelance fiction writer. At the risk of overgeneralizing, it's one of those occupations you go into because you can't not do it. And any attempts to justify it by pointing to commercial success are, at best, special pleading. If Stephen King had failed to get his big break with Carrie, if J.K. Rowling's first Harry Potter book has sold out its first thousand-copy print run and thereafter gone out of print, I'm willing to bet that they'd have kept on writing regardless. Speaking for myself, I'm an obsessive fiction writer. I write because I've got a cloud of really neat ideas buzzing around my brain, and I need to let them out lest my head explode. But having ideas is only part of the reason I write. Otherwise, I could just keep a private journal. The other monkey riding my back is the urge to communicate, to reach out and touch someone, or to lift the lid on their brain pan, sprinkle some cognitive dissonance inside, stir briskly, then tiptoe away with a deranged titter. Everyone I know who does this job has got the same monkey on their shoulders, urging them on, inciting them to publish or be damned, communicate or die. If you're a compulsive communicator, nothing gets your attention like feedback from the public. A signal saying, message received. To many writers, money is one kind of feedback. Nothing says message received quite like the first royalty check after your book earns out the advance. It tells you that people actually went out and bought it, and it pays the grocery bills. Then there are the reviews, be they brilliant or misguided, or occasionally brilliant and misguided, which tell you a little bit about how the message was received or misunderstood. They don't pay the grocery bills but they still matter to us. But the feedback from a novel is slow to arrive, and thin beer indeed after the amount of effort that went into fermenting the brew. Imagine you've got an office job. You go to work every day, and there's a perk. The office is about ten feet from your bedroom door. No lengthy commute. You sit in that office, alone for the most part, and write hopefully without interruption or human companionship. Sometimes you get bored and take a day or two off, or go do the housework, or go shopping. And sometimes you find yourself working there at 10pm on a Saturday night because you took Friday off, and Thursday before it, and your demon conscience is whispering in your ear, reminding you to put in the hours. You're almost always on your own. You'll find it generally takes somewhere between a month and a year to write a novel, sometimes more, sometimes less. And once it's written, you deliver it to your agent or editor, and it disappears for a couple of months. Then it reappears as a job in the publisher's production queue, moving in lockstep through a series of well-defined processes on its way to being turned into cartons of finished books. There's a little wiggle room, but in general, if you turn in a book, it will take a year to show up in hardcover, and then another year before it's reprinted in paperback. So, once a year, you get the fanfare and fireworks show of a new book coming into print, and then the reviews 
and reader comments trickle in, usually over a period of a couple of months. Then the long silence resumes, punctuated by the odd piece of fan mail, a surprising proportion of which is concerned with pointing out the same hugely significant typo on page seven that escaped both you and your editors as the previous sixteen emails. Short stories are different. They push the reward feedback button much more frequently than novels. And that's why a lot of us start out writing short stories before we tackle novels. There's an addictive quality to writing short stories, like being a rat in a behavioural science experiment that rewards correct performance of some complex task with a little electric shock to the medial forebrain bundle. Not only do they not take months or years to write, when things are going well, it's more like hours...